It is good to see everybody again this morning. Welcome back to Community Church as always. It's great to see you each and every week. It's such a joy to gather here with you. I hope that you have had a great week. I also hope that you have come prayed up and ready to study the Word of God this morning. Uh, in fact, I think it would be a good idea for each of us to sort of read ahead each and every week so that you can begin to prepare your heart and to focus your mind on the things that we're going to be studying each and every week. Now, I understand you don't know exactly where I'm going to stop each and every week, how far we're going to get, but we are going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. So if you read ahead, say, a chapter or so, then you're going to be right on track to where we're going to be studying on Sunday mornings. And then on Wednesday nights in our community group, we do what is called a sermon-based Bible study. And, and all that is, is we just take time to discuss the passage that was taught on Sunday morning. And we, so we drill down a little bit deeper into that passage. We really learn how to apply it to our life and so that we can live out the truth that we've learned. So I hope that you can join us not only on Sunday mornings, but also on Wednesday nights. But I want to encourage you to pray up. I want to encourage you to read up. And then, of course, I want to encourage you to meet up, come and be with the people of God on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights, because I'll tell you what, you will never, ever regret the time that you spend in prayer, the time that you spend in reading God's word or the time that you spend fellowshipping with God's people. Uh, you're not ever going to regret that. And really, when you think about it, these things that I just mentioned are not things that believers should have to, you know, quote unquote, make time for. Right? These are just things that we do. This is just who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. It's all of those other things in life that must take a back seat to the things of God. Praying together, studying God's word together, worshiping together, meeting together, living our lives together. I mean, that's just basic Christianity. That's just Bible. That's just Christianity 101. So believers, what we do is we spend time together in the presence of the Lord, doing these basic things. And so I have to personally be careful that I'm not letting other things creep into my life that's going to compete for the time slot of the things of God. So this morning, we're going to try and finish up Luke chapter 8, okay? So we're going to be looking at verses 40 through 56. So you're welcome to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. And I'm going to do my best to not go as long as I did last week. I, I had no idea we went that long, so I'm sure that's exciting you know, that we'll be shorter today. But I know I'm excited to get over to the park and have our summer fellowship. I'm super excited about that, to see what BJ made and uh, <laughs> eat some of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but our summer fellowship, again, is right after church today. You're all invited. I hope you come. We'll have a great time. Our comparison passages in the text this morning from the other Gospels are going to be found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 through 26, and then over in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. But in our passage this morning, we're going to see a couple of different contrasts, okay? We're going to see a contrast of two people groups. We're going to see the Gadarenes, the people who asked Jesus to actually depart from them. And then we're going to see those on the other side of the lake who welcomed Jesus, who were there waiting for him, Scripture says. One group wished him away, while the other group bid him to come. And of course, we should all hope to find ourselves in the latter group, right? We're also going to see another contrast. We're going to see a contrast between two individuals here in this te text. Both of them have a need. One is a man, one is a woman. The man has a name. He's named in the text. He's a ruler in the synagogue. And so the woman, however, she's unnamed and she's virtually unknown. The man is a ruler, which means most likely he had some wealth. He may not have been the wealthiest guy on the block, but he did all right. He had some wealth. But the woman, Scripture tells us, had already spent all of her wealth trying to get well. The man had a daughter of 12 years old. The woman has had a difficulty for 12 years. The man's daughter would have no doubt brought him much joy for those 12 years. But the contrast, obviously, is the woman's difficulty would have no doubt brought her much sadness. And so the lives are very different between this man and this woman. They are on different sides 
of the social spectrum, you could say, but both of them, we'll see, end up falling at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Of course, Christ is Lord over all. Christ is our Lord. And so whether things are going great or difficulty has come to our doorstep, Christ is still King. Christ is still Lord, and he will receive each and every single person who will come to him in faith. And so just like these two in our passage today, we'll, we'll see them restored. One will be restored, and the other one will be revived. And so it is with us. Each and every one who would come to Christ in faith can be restored and revived. So would you pray with me quickly, and then we'll get into the text. We love you, Lord. We thank you again for this time of worship in song. We thank you for our time of worship in communion. And we thank you now, Lord, for this time when we can gather around your word. Would you please help us to focus in, to dial in, prepare our hearts to receive from you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us into all truth, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us here, uh, and that we could take away exactly what you want us to take away from this text this morning. So, Lord, please have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40 says this, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Verse 45, And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me. For I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Verse 48. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Verse 54, But he put them all outside took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. All right. <clears throat> so the Lord was still at this point in his ministry trying to sort of keep things relatively quiet as much as possible anyway in a very public ministry and increasingly public ministry while still meeting the needs of people at the same time very difficult um, but it wasn't time yet for him to go to the cross um, as I had mentioned a week or two ago I think it was some people think that Christ was well into his third year of ministry here while others tend to think that this time this point in time was just the very beginning of his third year in ministry but we don't know for sure exactly it's impossible to know for certain, but either way, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 8, he said his time had not fully come. And so he continues to serve while asking others to be silent. Um, but as we can see it in our scripture today, the word was out. I mean, the multitudes were following Jesus, people were all around. I want you to look at verse 40. It says, So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. So Christ returns back to the west side of the Sea of Galilee here. Matthew said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, in his gospel, that he came into his own city, which of course would mean that he came back to Capernaum. I mean, what a difference in receptions that we see here. I mean, he went from being asked to leave a largely Gentile region, right? 
and the Gadarenes, they said leave. He went from that to being welcomed by a multitude from a largely Jewish region who Luke says in his gospel had been waiting for him. I like that. Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. That's exactly right. It's not what we are waiting for, is it? It's who we are waiting for. Who are we waiting for? So are we waiting on our circumstances to change, or are we waiting on the one who can change our circumstances? That's the difference. How well do I wait on the Lord Jesus Christ? Psalm 39, 7 says, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. So, guys, Christ is worth waiting for, is he not? And he will come in his timing, and he will come in his way, but he's worth the wait each and every time. So don't become impatient with Christ while you're waiting. Keep waiting. Keep praying. And keep hoping, because waiting on Christ is actually a form of worship. Verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. So a ruler in the synagogue was somebody who would sort of manage the affairs of the synagogue. Okay, He would take care of spiritual needs, of course, but he would also do things like schedule other speakers. He would even take care of the business affairs in the synagogue. He would also, uh, at times, do maintenance to the grounds and things like that. And so, in other words, this man would have worn a lot of different hats, much like we see Christian pastors do today. They wear a lot of hats. But this synagogue, interestingly, is quite possibly the very same synagogue that was built by the Roman centurion and his servants. Do you remember that when we studied Luke chapter 7? And so now, just as we've seen a Roman official here put his faith in Jesus for healing on behalf of his servant, that was Luke 7, here in Luke 8 we see a Jewish official put his faith in Jesus for healing on behalf of his daughter. Verse 42, For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now again, you'll remember that the centurion back in Luke 7, he had great faith. Jesus said he had great faith because he believed that Jesus could heal his servant even with a word. You remember that? But here, interestingly, Jairus begs Jesus to actually come to his house. So Jesus went. And so the faith of the Roman and the faith of the Jew were not the same, were they? But in both instances, it was there. It was present. Okay, faith was actually evidenced. I like what G. Campbell Morgan said here. He said, Christ went immediately. He did not stand for any particular type of faith. If faith is there, he will respond to it. Amen to that. So Jairus had faith that Jesus could at least heal his sick daughter. Okay, he had that much faith at least. And Christ, by his grace, responded to and rewarded that faith. You see, it's not the amount of faith that we have, okay? It's where you place it. It's where you place your faith. And those who place whatever faith they have at the feet of Jesus, well, they're going to find themselves blessed. They're going to find themselves enlightened, and their faith will be increased and actually strengthened in Christ. Did you know that the name Jairus here, this ruler of the synagogue, his name literally means whom God enlightens. Isn't that neat? So the miracle that Christ would perform for his only daughter would serve to not only revive Jairus's daughter, but also revive his own faith. So bring your little mustard seed of faith, whatever faith you have, and plant it firmly at the feet of Jesus, and then watch him grow that seed into a tree into a full-grown tree. That's Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. But as we see in the text here, Christ was again interrupted. We've seen this before, okay? But this time he was interrupted on his way to Jairus' house. The multitudes thronged him, the word says, right? So that word literally means to press around or suffocate. It means to choke. So you see kind of what crowd was pressing in around him. They were choking him. The crowd was packed in tight around Christ at this time, which no doubt would have slowed his progress over toward Jairus' daughter. And then all of a sudden, a certain woman 
took advantage of the opportunity. Look at verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Now, to me, this is an interesting little side note here from Luke. Because Luke, of course, was a doctor. He was a physician himself. And he, of course, would have understood, understood rather as good as anyone the extreme costs of medical care. He would have understood that. And he also would have understood his limited ability to heal every ailment or every disease, right? And so he aptly acknowledges both of these realities here in the text. But Mark, if you read his gospel in the comparison gospel, he gives us more of a patient's perspective. Right? So Luke would give us the doctor's perspective. Mark kind of comes at it from the patient's angle, if you will. He says it like this in Mark 5.26. He said, She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now maybe you or someone you love has been exactly in this same situation. Maybe you've had a health crisis. Maybe you've been at the point where the doctors have done all they can do and they can just do no more. You're at the end of your insurance and the money's gone, right? It's all dried up and no amount of money and no amount of doctor's wisdom is going to be able to heal that condition, right? But as we see here in this story, you still, even at that point, you still have not exhausted all of your options because when the wisdom and the ways of the world and all of man's provisions are gone, right? You still have Jesus, I want you to see the faith of this woman. Verse 44. She came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now notice, again, the interruption here. There's an interruption. Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. And then all of a sudden there comes this woman who actually came from the other direction, didn't she? She came from behind him. And in faith, she would have had to have bent down in order to touch the border of his garment. Look at the desperation there. Look at the faith. I mean, now we've seen how Christ has handled interruptions before in the text, haven't we? We talked about this in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. His own family interrupted him in the middle of his ministry. But what did he do? He continued to focus on the spiritual rather than focus on the physical. And the same is true right here. Yeah, the needs were physical from both Jairus' daughter and this woman, right? But something else that required faith, something spiritual just happened, didn't it? So Christ attended to that. The word says that she touched the border of his garment. The word for touched here doesn't quite tell the whole story our word, our English word, because the literal meaning of the word that's used here for, uh, that Luke uses, it means to fasten. It means to adhere or to cling to. That gives us a different picture, doesn't it? This woman was all in. She was all in. She fastened herself to Jesus. I just love that picture. The law said that she was unclean. Okay, that's what the law told her. No one could even touch her, and she could not touch anyone. That's Leviticus 15, 19 through 31. But in her act of faith, she understood that Christ could make her clean. She understood that. Think about that. Her condition would have kept her from participating even in worship. So this physical issue that had impacted her life for the last 12 years also impacted her life very vividly in a spiritual way as well. She couldn't worship. She couldn't be around people. She would have been considered unclean. This woman would have been considered an outcast, right? So obviously she would have been lonely. But in faith, in her faith, she came to Christ for cleansing. Praise the Lord. Every single sinner Every sinner who comes to Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, spiritually needed and separated and lonely and unclean, covered in the filthiness of their sin, Christ will restore and make clean. Though my sins are like scarlet, he will make them white as snow, Isaiah said in Isaiah 1, 18. So this woman again came from behind him. What does that tell us? She was humble. 
She humbled herself, right? And she touched the border of his garment, okay? Meaning she had to bow or she had to bend down. In other words, there was reverence here. There was faith. This woman worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how she was able to make it through this huge crowd that was pressing in all around Christ. I don't know. But her faith was evidently strong enough and persistent enough to make sure that she got close enough to fasten herself to Christ. Think about that. How strong and how persistent is my faith. And of course, it wasn't the garment that healed her. It was her faith in the one who wore the garment that healed her. But that's an interesting study. If you'd like to do more research and study on the garment that Christ was wearing at the time, uh, then go back to Numbers chapter 15 and read verses 37 through 40. That's an interesting study. But just as interesting <clears throat> is what Christ thought about the Pharisees who wore a similar garment. You can read that in Matthew 23, 5. There's quite the contrast there as well. But a question that I need to ask myself here is this. Have I fastened myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician? Right? Have I fastened myself in faith to him, the very one who can heal what no amount of money can heal, the very one who can heal what even the best doctors in the world can't heal? Have I come and fastened myself to the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do I continue to visit, as Pastor David Guzik calls it, and I love this, do I continue to visit the doctor of entertainment? Do I continue to visit the doctor of success? Maybe the doctor of self-help or the doctor of pleasure. Verse 45. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? Now, I think a little bit of grace is needed here because the disciples, they're still learning how to walk by faith. They just assumed the obvious and natural meaning of Christ's question here, and they were obviously confused by that question. I mean, how can we possibly know who touched you, right? There's people everywhere, and they're all just bumping into you from every side. I mean, what do you mean, who touched you? But of course, <clears throat> pardon me, Jesus was asking, who touched me in faith? That's what he's asking. So we should notice here how the touch of faith is much different than the touch of the flesh, isn't it? It's different. It's one thing to press upon Christ and to sort of crowd around him, if you will, but it's quite another to reach out to him in faith. You see, many people press in all around Jesus all the time. They see him. They know he's right there. We crowd around him at church, don't we? We might even throw up a prayer once in a while. But none of that has anything to do with faith. None of it. So we've got to be very, very careful to note the difference here between those in the crowd who pressed in around Jesus and the one who reached out to him in faith. My point is this. Guys, there's a lot of people who will go through the motions of Christianity without ever reaching out to meet the Christ of Christianity. Verse 46. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. And of course, Christ knew exactly who touched him, okay? He knew. Mark chapter 5, verse 37 says that he looked around to see her. So he knew exactly who it was. But this woman had reached out in faith, and Christ responded in power. Isn't that interesting to think about? The power of Christ is displayed in those who direct their faith to him. Right? This woman's faith was very active. She reached out and she touched, she fastened to his garment, right? And Christ's power was also very, very active. It went out from him and it healed her. So one of the things that we learn here, at least I think, is that we learn a little bit more about the cost of our healing, don't we? It cost Jesus something to heal her. It costs Jesus something to heal us. Yes, he took our sin upon the cross, no doubt. But he himself bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows, Isaiah 53, verse 4. And all of that was prior to the cross. That was before the cross. See, Christ entered into our humanity. Okay, he entered 
into our humanity with us, and he suffered our sorrows. So when this woman literally fastened on to Jesus in faith, he felt her pain. He knew her pain. Why? Because he entered into it with her. And then by his grace, he removed it from her. Praise the Lord. Verse 47. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. Romans chapter 10 Verses 9 and 10 tell us that if you confess, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now look, I understand that this incident happened before the cross. Okay, I get that. But salvation has always been by grace through faith. And so the results of this shy woman's faith here was a public profession. That was one of the results of it. She came hiding. She came from behind. And now she faces Christ and publicly professes him. It's public. This is worship. What we're looking at is confession. She's declaring her faith to Christ personally and directly, and then also to everyone within earshot. She's saying, look, I reached out to Christ and he healed me. Christ has made me whole. That's what's going on here. And it happened immediately. The very moment that I put my faith in him, he healed me. Guys, this is exactly what genuine conversion looks like. She had come to Christ in humility and in faith. And now she confessed her faith in Christ publicly, didn't she? By her testimony of what the power of Christ had done for her. This woman had spent the last 12 years hiding. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. But after coming to Christ, look, she no longer had to hide at all, did she? In fact, the word says that she, she saw that she was not hidden. I love that. She was brought from darkness into light. It's beautiful. So she did what every sinner does who has truly felt the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. She fell down trembling at the feet of Jesus. She worshiped him because he healed her. Now, how have I responded to the forgiveness of Christ? That's a question I need to ask. What has changed? Is my worship still hidden? Is my worship still ashamed? Am I afraid? Am I embarrassed? Or is my worship something that I confess to God and that I profess before men? We see both from this woman, don't we? And it's all public, all of it. You see, my faith might be personal, and it is, but it ain't private. Our faith is public, right? This woman declared to him, to Christ, in the presence of all the people. You see, those who truly know the healing power of Christ, they confess it to God and they profess it before men. And all of this, again, is wide out in the open. Okay, it's not hidden. It's very public. Verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Christ gave her assurance in public after her public confession. But notice again how Christ commands his children to go here. He said to go in peace. And we talked about this. You remember Luke 7 verse 50? That woman from the city, he told her the same thing. The one who, who came into the house and anointed his feet with oil and so on. He said go into peace. Literally go into peace is how this reads in both of those instances. And so this woman, she would now have two things. She would have the joy of the Lord Right? He said, daughter, be of good cheer. So she now has the joy of the Lord. And then she would have the peace of Christ. Go in peace. Joy and peace. So after 12 years, 12 years, imagine that, of absolute misery, she now found both her joy and her peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ heals you, he heals you completely. And you would think that surely... J. Iris is over there watching this and seeing what's happening. Surely this would have increased 
his faith as well. I mean, if Christ can heal this woman, then surely he can make my daughter well. Uh, that must have been going through his mind. But you know what? The delay took too long. They waited too long. And Jairus had been waiting alongside this entire time. But remember, we talked about waiting, didn't we? We already talked about that. We need to wait on the Lord. And although God is never late, his timing is often very difficult for us to wait on. Right? He's not late. But sometimes we get tired of waiting, if we can just put it bluntly. We get impatient, right? And this woman's interruption brought with it some very bad news. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. So the hope's gone now. I mean, the chance for healing has passed. We waited too long, Jesus. We waited too long, and now my daughter is dead. But of course, I mean, of course, Christ does nothing. He does absolutely nothing without a purpose. Okay, and even though this ruler of the synagogue here, he did have a measure of faith. We talked about that. This increased weight would actually serve to enhance and increase the faith that he had. Because think about it. It's likely that Jairus believed, um, you know, Jesus most likely had the ability to heal the sick. He had probably seen or heard that. And even though he's Jewish, he would have believed that, you know, Christ had the ability to at least heal the sick. That's why he came in the first place, right? But he probably didn't believe that Christ necessarily had the power to raise the dead. And that's because many only viewed Christ as a teacher, a didaskalos. That's the word. It means it's just a generic term for somebody who is fit to teach the things of God. That's likely Jairus' mindset here. You know, he's thinking, well, maybe... Christ could heal my daughter, but he's probably most likely not somebody who would be able to give life because that's what God does. God gives life. Jesus can probably heal the sick. You see, Jews respected the teaching of Christ, but they rejected the deity of Christ, just like many people today, by the way. But this man, he came to Christ with the faith that he had. What little faith he had, he brought it to Christ. And Christ recognized that faith and he responded to it. Again, Christ is not out there looking for types or kinds of faith. Okay, just faith. And when we place what faith we have in Christ, then he is pleased to reward that faith. I want you to notice two commands here that Christ gives to Jairus. We see them in verse 50. All hope is gone. It's lost. My daughter's dead. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. That's the first command. Only believe. That's the second. And she will be made well. Man, if we could only get our minds around those few words right there. Right? Don't be afraid. Only believe. Do not fear. Have faith. Don't fear, Jairus. You just believe. That's your job. Fasten onto me by faith, just like you saw this woman do. And the promise is that Christ will heal this woman's daughter. You see, the promise comes after the commands. Two commands. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Then the promise. And she will be made well. That's the promise. You see, the word from the house was that your daughter's dead. All right, But the word of God says she will be made well. So what are my worries? What do I worry about? What causes me stress and grief? Is it my job? Do I worry about that? Is it my marriage? What, what's going on in my life that is causing me to worry or have fear? Is it sickness in my family? Is it a prodigal child? What is it that worries me? Jesus said, do not be afraid. Only believe. You see, the challenge here for us is the same as it was for Jairus, isn't it? Those in the house, all of them, that's our, this is our challenge. You guys, believe. Shay, just stop being afraid and believe. That's the same challenge that we have, the one that's presented here. Just like the woman who was healed, Jesus is saying, you know what? I know you've been waiting, Jairus. I know that. 
But the question for him is, have you been waiting in faith? Only believe. You know, some, sometimes Christ, again, will delay his coming, if we can say that. Not really, but in our eyes it seems like that. But sometimes he will do that in order to deepen our faith and to demonstrate his authority, right? Look, Christ had just shown his authority over this debilitating and demoralizing ailment. This was an embarrassing thing she had. It was debilitating for 12 years. Christ showed his authority over that. And so now he turns to Jairus and he says, in a sense, look, Jairus, don't fear death either because I have authority over that too. I'm not just a teacher who teaches the things of God, Jairus. I am the God who teaches, and I am teaching you right now. Your name means the one whom God enlightens. So I'm going to enlighten you right now to who I really am by raising your daughter from the dead. Do you believe that? I love it. Verse 51. When he came into the house... He permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. And so Christ takes his closest disciples with him into the house with the girl's parents here. And this is actually the first of three different occasions in which Christ teaches just these three men in particular. Okay? The others are on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we'll look at in Luke 9, 28, and uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, which you can read about in Luke 22 or, or Mark 14. But in taking these three men to these three different places, Christ is showing them that his power is greater than the grave and that his glory is higher than the mountain and that the cost of our sin is as real as the drops of blood that fell from his body to the ground in the garden. You see, Christ was teaching his disciples that even though death is real, even though death causes much grief, it is not permanent, okay? It's not permanent. The body may die, but the spirit is going to live on because Christ himself would overcome death by his own resurrection from the dead. But yet he still had to go through death, didn't he, in order to get to the resurrection. And so what we see here is the path of redemption that Christ took in order to bring new life to you and me. And through these very unique, these three very unique teachings that Christ taught to Peter, James, and John, that he would suffer and die for our sins and be raised from the dead and glorified with the Father. He's showing us the path he would take of redemption. Because these three men, just like the rest of us, we need to be reminded about death. And they would need to be reminded about death, the truth of it, right? That it's not the end. Because they're going to spend the rest of their life proclaiming the good news about new life in Christ Jesus. And so Christ was teaching his disciples all about faith right alongside Jairus. And he's teaching you and I about faith today as well. Verse 52. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. So again, death is not the end, is it? Now you might be wondering something. I've definitely thought this myself, um, but you might be wondering, was this girl really dead? Didn't Jesus d just say she's not dead? I mean, some believe that she was just sort of in a coma type state, something similar to that, maybe in a deep sleep or a coma. And they point to um, this text for sure, but they also point to the difference in terminology that Christ uses, for example, when he spoke about the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. In that passage, he used the word asleep, and it's a totally different word than the word he uses for sleeping here. Okay, so again, the question is, was this girl healed of a coma, brought out of a coma, or was she actually resurrected from the dead? I think we get our answer in this very same text. If you look down at verse 55, it says that her spirit returned, doesn't it? So there was a definite separation of her body and her spirit. And if you look over at James chapter 2, verse 26, he writes, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, yes, this girl was absolutely 100% dead. There's no doubt about that. But the beauty here 
at least in my opinion, is that Christ's view of death is to be feared no more than we fear sleep. Don't cry, Jesus said. She's not dead. She's just sleeping, right? So for those who believe in Jesus Christ, death is merely a reprieve. It's restful. It's like sleep. I like what Wearsby said here. He said, sleep is a normal experience that we don't fear, and we should not fear death. It is the body that sleeps, not the spirit. For the spirit of the believer goes on to be with Christ. At the resurrection, the body will be awakened and glorified, and God's people will share in the image of Christ. Amen to that. You know, every single night, every night that we lay down to sleep, we reenact the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. We lay down, we sleep, we wake up. Our body sleeps, but our spirit lives on. We are reenacting the gospel of Jesus Christ every time we go to bed, right? But those who don't believe in Christ, those who have rejected Christ, they still have no hope. And so what they think about death is, well, that's the end. It's over. Look at verse 53. And so they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Now, we should understand something here. These people were professional mourners. Okay, this was sort of their job. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. So these people here, they were just flute players. All right, these people were hired to wail. They were hired to make a big scene because that was very common back then uh, to do that. They wanted people to come in and make a big deal because why? It's final. Death is over. That's the end. Let's make a big deal. Very common practice. But this not only reveals something about them, it reveals a lot about us as well because death is always hard but it's always hardest on those who do not have hope man only sees the natural this girl's dead that's what we see but Christ knows the supernatural oh she's only sleeping man only sees the temporal oh it's time to mourn call the professional mourners Get them in here with their flutes. Let's make a big scene. We'll, leave, we'll hire as many people as we have to to make a big deal out of this person's life. Man only sees the temporal. Christ sees the eternal. He says, do not weep. So the point is this, guys. Christ is Lord of the living, and Christ is Lord over the dead because Christ is both the resurrection and the life, according to John 11, verses 25 through 26. And furthermore, he had already raised the widow's son hadn't he back in Luke 7 14 so why couldn't he raise the ruler's daughter why not but again where is their faith verse 54 so he put them all outside he took her by the hand and he called saying little girl arise actually Mark tells us that he spoke in Aramaic here and he says Talitha kumai that's interesting Something else that's interesting to me is that Christ wisely puts out those without faith. Everybody who didn't have faith got put outside. What a picture for those of us who choose to remain faithless in this life. They will be put outside. And trust me, outside of Christ is not some place that you want to be when death comes knocking on your door. But Christ keeps his promise to Jairus here, and he raises his little girl back to life. I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said he brought her back to a world of suffering for the sake of her parents, not for her sake. I believe that's right. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that because nobody in heaven wants to come back here, right? But just as Christ reunited an only son with his mother, back in Luke 7, 14. Here, he reunites an only daughter with her parents, which, of course, again, reminds all of us that one day, death will be swallowed up in victory. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And every one of us, meaning every believer, everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, will be reunited with our faith family when we're united with our Heavenly Father. Verse 55. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and she commanded that she be given, or he commanded rather, that she be given something to eat. So again, our spirits don't die, they live on. But every time Christ raises somebody from the dead, it's important to understand that there's a spiritual application 
to it. Every time we see it in Scripture, and I think we see it three times. We see it with the widow's son in Luke 7. We talked about that. We see it here with Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. We also see it again with Lazarus, of course, in John 11. But each time he raises somebody to life, we see evidences of new life after they've been resurrected. The widow's son, what did he do? He sat up and he spoke. Jairus' daughter was given something to eat. And Lazarus, he was loosed from his grave clothes. Right? Again, I like to quote Wearsby here. He said, when a lost sinner is raised from the dead, you can tell it by his speech. You can tell it by his walk. You can tell it by his appetite. And you can tell it by his change of clothes. Great insight. The signs of new life should be present everywhere. Everywhere in the one who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk different. I'm going to talk different. I'm going to be feeding on the words of Christ. So I have a different appetite. I don't have an appetite for sin. I have an appetite for the things of Christ. Why? Because I am clothed. I have been loosed from my grave clothes. And now I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Jesus Christ. Verse 56. And her parents were astonished. And he charged them to tell no one what had happened. You know, Christ was never about pleasing the crowds. Um, he was always about pleasing his heavenly father. And so he never sought recognition. What Christ was about was he was about bringing reconciliation. And so what we want to take away here from our lesson today, I think, is this. Of course, Christ is the resurrection and the life. So he should be our focus. Christ restored this woman's life, this life that had been damaged by her hemorrhaging body. What a terrible, terrible thing she had to deal with. But Christ restored her. Christ also revived this little girl that had been defeated by death. Christ overcame that and he healed her. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus said in John 11, verses 25 through 26. And so it becomes a simple yes or no question for you and me, doesn't it? Do I believe this? Do I believe what Jesus said? And I think we see both responses in our study of Luke chapter 8 over the last few weeks. We see people who said, yes, I believe it. And we see people who say, no, I don't. The demons, they drove the possessed man into the wilderness and into the tombs. The Gadarenes drove Christ back into the boat. The people of Capernaum, they welcomed Jesus, however, back home, didn't they? And they were waiting for him. And Jairus, he actually brought Christ into his home. He invited him into his home where Christ brought his daughter back to life. Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. So am I going to head back into the wilderness? Am I going to go back to the place of the spiritually dead? Am I going to ask Christ to go ahead and get back in the boat and leave me alone? Or will I, by faith, fasten myself to Jesus like the woman here? Will I fasten myself in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and be restored? Will I... Like Jairus, will I welcome Christ home into my heart, into my life, so that he will awaken my dead heart and give me new life, eternal life? Guys, only Christ can restore a broken relationship between me and my Heavenly Father. It's been broken by my sin, and only Christ can restore that. Only Christ can revive my dead rebel heart that is dead in sin. So what I need to do is in faith, fasten myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and be restored and be revived, brought to new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? 
Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this time in your word. Thank you for the teachings that we see here. Thank you for the miracles, Lord, that serve to enhance and increase our own faith in our Savior, the one who laid down his own life for our sin. The resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for offering us new life. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for bearing our griefs and our sorrows in this life, but then taking our sin as well and nailing them to that cross. Lord, thank you for restoring our relationship that was broken by our sin with our Heavenly Father through your blood, the blood of the cross. Thank you for reviving our dead hearts that are dead in sin and far away from you, separated by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, you've done it all. You have made a way. In Christ, we can be made whole. Whatever ailment we have, you can make whole. Every heart that is dead in sin, you can bring to life. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done to secure our eternity. My prayer, my hope this morning is that if there's someone who heard this message and they don't have a relationship with you, that they would not wait one more minute. That just as J. Iris invited you into his house, that they would invite you into their heart, into their life, to heal them. That they would turn from their sin in repentance and by faith fasten themselves unto Jesus Christ, believing that you died for their sins, that you are the Son of God, who laid down your life on the cross and took it up again in the miracle of your resurrection so that you can have, we can have, anyone can have hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. I pray that they would believe that. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Stop struggling. Stop doing things your way. And go with Jesus. Follow him. Lord, you are so good to us. You have given us grace that we don't deserve. You have given us mercy. You've given us life, another chance to be whole. Thank you, Lord, for preserving your word throughout the years so that we can take lessons like we've learned today with us throughout our life that's going to help to increase and enhance our own faith as we walk this journey with you. Lord, would you go with us this week, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our minds, help us to no longer mess with things like the grave clothes, help us to not go back into the wilderness, help us to walk confidently and closely with the Lord Jesus Christ, unashamed, publicly. Would you strengthen us to do that? Would you use Community Church to reach Union, Missouri with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.